Did you think you was going to come in here and drink with the men? Set him up, bartender. Two whiskeys. Bought me a drink the last time I was in here. Now I want to buy you one. You ain't going to drink that in here. Hello, and welcome to the Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture. I'm Susan Raslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we started the 1953 nominees with the Western Shane. And I did not like it. <laughs> yeah, um, the 1990, I'm going to say, 8 vehicle, The Negotiator with Samuel L. Jackson really led me to believe that this was a much more complex movie than it is. I understand why there was an argument about the end. I get it. Right. But I expected it to be because the end was really spectacular in some way and not just vague. Right. There was no beam fight, David. There was no beam fight. Yeah, the gunfight sucked. (laughs) Everything kind of sucked. For those who haven't caught that movie on HBO, which is the only way to watch it... (laughs) The argument within the film is whether or not at the end of this film, when Shane rides away after getting shot during a gunshot with like four guys, is he dying or not? And I thought from the negotiator that that was like this interesting thing that had been peppered throughout, that it's like the end of fucking inception or something where like oh you could really interpret it different ways whereas in this movie it's just like does shane have fucking superpowers or not because if he does he's fucking fine and in most of the fights he seems to but if he's like a normal human being he did get shot in the chest yeah so like yeah the reason i feel like there's any controversy about this is because this movie kind of sucks and not because this movie really wants to like have some interesting complexity to its ending. It feels to me like the ending is just like, gotta be moving along now, folks, and not like trying to shield this terrible child, God, from the truth. But you can read it that way, in which case it's the first interesting thing that's happened in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could read it that way, but to me it just feels like bad movie making. (laughs) Like, well, got shot in the chest and I'm bleeding, but let me just uh, hop on my horse and uh, be moving along now. Yeah. So the plot of this, which goes super fast because this is a movie where almost nothing happens. Shane is a gunfighter who has a mysterious past that is never really explained in one of the few, I would say, good choices of the movie. And he has just shown up in the Wyoming Territory. He gets hired by this family where Jean Arthur is the wife. And there's this irritating kid that immediately loves Shane because he's so cool and badass. Oh my god, this child is like birth control in human form. If I wanted to have kids, this kid would convince me otherwise. (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, there is a cattle baron, I guess, named Rufus Riker. Rufus Riker's really only distinguishing characteristic is he wants everybody to get off the land. And I guess he mentions cattle a few times, but he's mostly just an avatar for wanting people to get off their land. Shane does not get along with these people because they are transparently evil. 
and after about five minutes of taking their shit, starts a fist fight and beats up like 30 dudes with the help of the one homesteader guy. So, okay, that actually for me was the most interesting part of the movie. It was, and I I guess let's get into that in just a second, because after that, that galvanizes all the homesteaders. Riker hires this gunfighter guy who basically taunts everybody by telling them they were Confederate soldiers, which is true, and that they lost a war and they suck, which is also true, (laughs) until they draw on him, and then he shoots them. He does it to one guy, and like that's his plan apparently for everybody. He's gonna go kill Gene Arthur's husband, but Shane's like, no, it should be me instead to go do this incredibly dangerous shootout because, like, you have a wife and kids. They have a fight about it that honestly kind of sucks. The kid yells at Shane once for three seconds and then feels so guilty about it, he, like, runs after him to see this gunfight. The gunfight sucks. Shane kills a bunch of dudes. He gets shot, and it's your choice whether that is important or not. (laughs) As Shane just goes like, well, goodbye, and the movie ends. But let's talk about the one good fight scene, which is the fist fight about an hour in, I guess. This movie is two hours long, and it feels three hours long. (laughs) At least. It was such a fucking drag. Yeah. Yeah, so there's what, like, Shane and the homesteader dude, and then, like, five guys? Five or six. I think it's like they sort of join in in very ninjas in a 90s movie kind of way. Like they all take their turn. Um, So it's a little bit hard to tell exactly how many there are. But it definitely led me to think another reason why Westerns are superhero movies for the 50s is like power creep. Shane is able to do so much more than our protagonist in High Noon was able to do, you know? Right. It's been a year. Yeah. (laughs) And he can beat up two and a half guys on his own, or, you know, five with the help of a friend. This scene was actually really fascinating to me because it is an example of not great fight choreography, to be perfectly honest, intertwined with some actually pretty good stunts. Like, there's a lot of throwing dudes around. Yeah. Really smart camera angles and tricks to make up for the not great fight choreography. So instead of just aiming the camera at a fight that looks shitty, it's like, all right, we'll show one guy pulling his fist back in really tight close up, and then we'll show the next guy, like, flying backward in really tight close up. Or starting that way as he moves backward. So we get the violence of that punch without having a bad looking punch. Which starts the fight. Is a lot of like thrown punches that obviously are not connecting with anyone's face. Uh, Yeah. And I do a little bit wonder the degree to which that is kind of by accident. Because... That's how the whole movie is edited. And it's very cool in that fight scene, but it's very weird when dialogue is like, you cut to somebody's face when they're talking, and then the frame they stop talking, you cut back to the other person who is talking. There are not really wide shots in this. I found the editing, the literal editing one shot into another editing of this movie, generally really distracting. Mm. Yeah. But in that, 
one scene, it really gives it this comic book quality because it's like, this is what you need to know about. Like, we are concentrating our action on this fist, on this face, on this arm. We have figured out the smallest possible segment of what is the important action right now, and we're showing you exactly that. The way that really good comic panel writers separate out action. And it is interesting, I agree with you, because we really haven't seen a fight scene like that before. Yeah, and it does feel like a strange amalgamation of shittiness of, like, bad fight choreography, but good stunts. And, like, how much you realize a stunt can make a fight, you know, a shitty punch looks bad. But if one guy throws another guy over his shoulder onto a table, it's pretty impressive, even if it is not at the level of the way that would happen in even an 80s action movie, for example. And how this really hard cut editing can give that feeling, even if it is accidental. Or, you know, I mean, maybe they discovered it in the editing room. Oh, well, if we do this, then we can cut out the part that's really obviously bad. (laughs) Yeah, I was really debating. uh, It's really like that first scene with dialogue was the first time that because they also cut back to the kid's face so goddamn often oh my god and he half the time looks cross-eyed yeah he's not cross-eyed it's just he has the issue that is really adorable when it's your kid on stage being a terrible actor in the school play and doesn't know how to hold their arms or what to do or what how to look yeah but this kid is in a fucking movie <laughs> like a giant hollywood film doing like the charming bad acting of your kid in like the school christmas pageant <laughs> so the game i was sort of playing in my head to pay attention to this movie at all once I sort of started seeing this weird editing style, was debating to myself whether this movie is badly edited or really well edited and badly directed. Mm. Because it feels like there wasn't enough coverage, is what the editing feels like. (laughs) Because they keep, like, cutting back to people, cutting to people's faces. Like, it feels like they forgot to get the two shot. Mm -hmm. Because they just keep getting directly in people's faces and then cutting to people's reactions and then cutting back out to broad shots when no one is talking. And it's like they forgot to do dialogue matching or something. I don't understand exactly. But it creates... Again, occasionally an interesting effect and occasionally a thing where I'm like, is this just the only interesting thing about this movie? And so I'm deciding it's interesting when it's actually just not very good. So the director is George Stevens, who did The More the Merrier, which was the weird one where Gene Arthur worked in politics in D.C., and then Charles Coburn was like her guardian angel, sort of. It was very confusing. Oh, right. Yeah. But he also did A Place in the Sun, which was the one with the guy who killed his pregnant girlfriend so that he could get with Elizabeth Taylor. Yeah, and Alice Adams. So, like, he's kind of a ringer for doing these novel adaptations. Yes. And so, yeah, I guess. And I think he's actually a good director. Like, his actual directing... If we somehow can divorce that from, like, the rest of the movie, which is tricky because, you know, 
how much of it is the director, how much of it is cinematographer, how much of it is actors and screenwriter and everything else. But I feel like consistently those have been movies that I have not liked and then been like, but there were these really interesting little moments here and there. And I feel like this actually was missing a lot of that quality. There were not a lot of really interesting little moments in this movie at all. It feels like maybe they were all cut out. <laughs> yeah, it is weird because Stevens is definitely a director that I think of as being, I'm trying to think of sort of the modern day equivalent, because I don't mean this as an insult, but like a very workmanlike director. Not getting the coverage is not a problem I would think of him as having. Right. And so I think, yeah, I guess that points toward this movie just being really weirdly edited, or maybe he just doesn't do outdoor shoots that great. I don't know. Uh, Yeah, I mean, well, because some of this stuff in A Place in the Sun is outdoors. None of this feels like him is what I would say. Like, even though I didn't enjoy yeah. any of those movies of his that we watched. I mean, Alice Adams a little bit, because it was you know uh, our standards were so much lower back then (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, there's that too but yeah he usually is making a movie that i don't necessarily like but he's making it all right he's good at setting up scenes and making sure that the scenes move from moment to moment quite well and this movie does not feel that way at all It feels really disconnected in the way, what was the, like, Frontiers E-Boy movie that we watched? The Frontiers E-Boy movie? Yeah, the one where the boy gets the the yearling there. With the dog and the deer. Yeah, where, like, it has a similar vibe to that, both because it's trying to get way farther on cute kid than that kid's cuteness deserves. Boy, it sure is. And two, because it has this weird sense of like, well, I guess all of these vignettes are connected in that they are all about the same people, but like, it's a lot of the same plot beat over and over and over again with just like slightly different frontiersy rituals going on. Like, now the same basic conflict is playing out at a square dance. (laughs) Yes. Now it's the 4th of July. I do appreciate when people say July as July. Yeah. But, like, that is how much I was just grasping for some element of joy in this movie. (laughs) It is bonkers to me that this movie is as well regarded as it is. So... I wonder if it's not really that it is well regarded because people liked the TV show. So there was a TV series that came afterward with David Carradine in it. Right. But like every time I read about that TV show, which has come up like a couple of times in my life, I guess just like David Carradine or I don't know why. But every time I go like, oh, that's such a good premise because Shane is, like, constantly on the move, right? That That's sort of his defining characteristic. This is a man that doesn't fit anywhere. And then you read the summary and it's like, we just took the setup from the novel and he just never moves on from here. <laughs> Jean Arthur just is a widow. And so they stick around and he is her love interest, basically. I have no idea why this movie is so well regarded. And it kind of freaks me out now that I've seen it. Because 
very specifically, the bad guys in this movie fought for the Union in the Civil War. Yeah. And everybody else who we're supposed to root for, except for the random Swedish guy who I assume did not fight in the Civil War, was in the Confederacy. Yankee is thrown around as an insult, which I'm not going to sit here and be like, Yankee is a slur, because it's not. But when you have somebody who fought for the Confederacy and the worst thing they can think to call someone is a Yankee, I'm like, oh, that's uncomfy. And I'm like, maybe this movie is really well regarded because I grew up in the South and then that makes me even more uncomfortable. (laughs) Like maybe in Vermont, people you know, who are 70 years old aren't like, oh man, Shane, I loved that movie when I was a kid. I maybe, like, I certainly don't think that it hurts in a weird way where it should. Uh, This movie should be less well-regarded because it does dumb carpetbagger bullshit for its bad guys. I am struggling to think of a Western where the bad guys fought for the Union that doesn't suck. Not just because it's like politics aren't with the politics that I agree with, but because it means that you haven't really thought very deeply about why these people are here or what is happening to them. (laughs) Yes. It would be something if we were digging into why that guy fought for the Confederacy, but we don't. He just goes like, actually, I, my nickname's Stonewall, because I thought Stonewall Jackson ruled, and so did Robert E. Lee. And if you say anything different, I'm going to, oops, I'm dead now. <laughs> That's, bleh. you could do an interesting movie where the bad guys fought for the Union in the West, but it's like too spicy of a meatball. Like you're not going to, especially during this era. So it's a pretty clear signifier that the movie just like kind of sucks when it is trying to get you to root for the Confederacy because like all the Northerners are like not magnanimous enough in victory, which is like... (sighs) Yeah. Did you also have that weird experience where just like the back half of the 19th century in American history just made absolutely no sense to you because that was supposed to be the animating force of American politics is like northern businessmen coming down and going hut tut tut. That's why everything just happened for 50 years. And you're like, what? What? What does that? How did they? Like, what mechanism? I 100% (laughs) had this experience. It's it's wild to me, actually, that this is a thing that is now becoming an issue again. Because when I was in high school, they didn't teach us about Reconstruction or Jim Crow at all. Yeah. It was like, yeah, Reconstruction happened, and that was bad, and, and then it ended, and because Southerners were resentful uh and then also there was jim crow which meant black people had a hard time voting was like the extent of what i learned in public southern high school history it was not until i went to college and took a bunch of african-american studies classes that i learned any of this i mean it was like holy shit this has been part of it the whole time how come no one knows about this and obviously plenty of people knew about it (laughs) But, you know, like, we're going through this whole thing again of you can't actually talk about any of the ways that 
racism impacted American history. And that is why I got a four on the U.S. AP history exam and a five on the European history exam because they didn't have that to deal with. Yeah, um, or at least didn't, yeah. I mean, they quite literally didn't have the U.S. Civil War on the European AP history exam. Yeah, just Europe, not exactly free from racism in the past thousand years of its history. Um, But yes. Yeah, but they're also not afraid to teach that to us. Yeah. At least not in the same way that they were in the South in public high school when it comes to, like, what happened after the Civil War. Or before, for that matter. Yeah, it was a real watershed day when I finally had a history teacher that would just say out loud, like, it was slavery all. Like, that's why that war happened. Like, definitely, for sure, that was the reason. And if you don't write that down on the test, you will not pass. Yeah, states' rights for people to own other people. (laughs) Like, let's just finish the sentence. (laughs) Yeah, but not even that, like... This movie has politics I dislike because this movie doesn't have politics. No, and that's actually kind of a problem. (laughs) Yeah, it is more bothering me that they do this, like, Union Northerner shorthand thing because, like, this could have been interesting. You don't get this sense of place at all in this place. At one point, for some reason, the cattle baron goes like, the greatest state is Alabama. And I briefly was like, is this an Alabama? Because, like, the mountains in the background are beautiful and let you know that, like, we are definitely not in Alabama. But all of the sense of place is from literally looking at the place you're in. The guy completely raises a toast to the great state of Alabama And I was like, what is happening? Aren't they in... They're homesteading. They're not in Alabama. What the fuck? Yeah. The whole community just has no sense of place. At one point, the, like, husband guy, who I guess is our second lead, is like, this could be a real community with a church. And it seems like he's pulling that out of his ass. Like, it just occurred to him (laughs) that maybe we would all go hang out at some point. Because, like, there is no sense of community here. There is no sense of, like, what is being disrupted. Honestly, the best argument for what is happening is made by the villain, who's like, hey, actually, we were out here 40 years ago doing a whole bunch of bullshit, and now you guys are just showing up and farming land that we were using for cattle. That's not a good excuse to murder people, but it is the most coherent point of view anyone is given for doing anything in this fucking movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is everything I don't like about Westerns. It is the problem of Westerns to me, which is you can lean so hard on those cliches and those stock characters that you don't have to fucking do anything. They literally, the bad guy, the bad gunman who shows up halfway through, Shane asks for a description of him, and the guy's just like, you'll know him, there's a black hat, he has a black hat. And that's like all the characterization that guy gets for the whole fucking movie. Yeah, quite literally, that's it. Black Hat is supposed to be shorthand. It's not supposed to be the whole character's biography. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, this is definitely a movie of, like, 
We've established this is a bad guy. Don't ask any follow-up questions. What more do you need to know? Bad guy and good guy. In the same shot. Bad guy and good guy. What more do you want? Right. Like, I also don't know why the kid is so fucking nuts about Shane from Jump, because as far as I can tell, at that point, all he's done is, like, help them dig some potatoes. The kid wants Shane to fuck his mom so bad. Why? (laughs) It's so bizarre. I know that it's supposed to just be that, like, he is really into Shane and he doesn't understand those issues, but he's just constantly asking his mother whether she likes Shane and how much she likes Shane. It felt like a very weird way for the code to have this stand-in for her so that she didn't have obvious romantic feelings towards Shane. Yeah. But she could express her affection for Shane because the kid liked Shane. Or tell the kid not to get too attached because he was going to have to move along soon. Which was like telling herself that. And it was very transparent in a way where it felt like maybe in the novel she has very obvious and stated feelings for Shane. And this was how they translated it was through this annoying fucking kid. It's actually the opposite. In the novel, Shane is apparently way more of like a Lee Van Cleef part. Like Shane looks like he has been beaten to shit and has a dark past and does not look like generic handsome guy who spends three hours doing his hair every day. (laughs) Shane looks like a guy who was a wandering gunfighter and killed a lot of people and has escaped to the Wyoming Territory in the novel. And so the wife is like, I don't want this guy sleeping in the same house as me. And has to be won over to who this dude is and that he is really on their side. Whereas in this, it's like, yeah, he's the the movie's named after him. He's the good guy. Don't even worry about it. <laughs> but really it is. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, we're all watching Shane, right? You're, we're, this, is, this is the movie that you're watching. So clearly we love this guy. I think a lot of that, too, is down to the casting of Alan Ladd, who is extremely generic handsome blonde guy he's kind of the worst of both worlds in terms of the sort of excesses of acting style we've seen in the past like 10 years because he has that sort of downside to methody thing of like a lot of my acting's just staring into the middle distance i feel a lot of stuff you don't know what it is because that's how feelings work but I feel a lot of things. Then when like the explosive moment of action comes, he feels like a very restrained and trained actor. Like he feels not even like a blankness, because that would be sort of interesting, but just like very actorly. I'm doing you watch it there, bud. I don't know. He sucks. Um, Like that's basically what I'm getting at here. I thought for a while, like, well, maybe this is one of those movies that, like, hinges on its central performance. And nope. He is not really doing anything that's working for me. The kid's not really doing anything that works for me. Ugh, I mean, no. Yeah. Honestly, we've seen Gene Arthur be good in a lot of stuff. I don't think Gene Arthur's very good in this. The very rare occasion when she has anything at all to do... I, you know, I don't even know if it's that she's good or it's that I have affection for her. So I'm like, oh, yeah, Gene Arthur, she's talking now. I like her. But there's literally nothing for her to do 
and none of her moments last longer than for me to have that little like Pavlovian perk up before it moves on to something else. She gets it the worst, but this whole movie really, again, made me appreciate The Quiet Man, a movie that I just can't get over the third act. But it's like, well, God, at least in that movie, people had a consistent attitude toward violence. In this movie, people just contradict whatever Shane and the dude are doing so that they can, like, dramatically triumph over conflict. Because people, like, hate that no one's standing up and doing a fight. And then a fight starts happening and they're like, why would you ever start a fight? We're just gonna lose. Like, everybody just reacts in opposition to whatever is happening. And Gene Arthur, literally they call it out of like, we're staying here because you love this farm so fucking much. And she's like, I know, but I never thought we'd like have to fight about it. And it's like, well, why the fuck not? Like a guy has been trying to chase you off this land for five years. Like what's going on? And just historically, I don't feel like a whole lot of people went out west to Homestead thinking that it was going to be a walk in the park. It was like, this is going to suck, but we get free land. Okay. Yeah, I guess if you're, like, up for that. Because it's not like everyone just ran and got it. There were plenty of people who stayed back east because they were like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. That sounds terrible. (laughs) Again, this is all sort of, like, a more complex and interesting history than this movie wants to explore. There really was a lot of conflict around the Homestead Acts in Wyoming in the late 19th century. This movie is... Like the the movie and the novel are ostensibly derived from an actual historical event in Wyoming called the Johnson County War, but it just files the serial numbers off of everything so hard that it's just this smooth, boring beige ball. <laughs> and then that ball is just labeled Western. And then you're done. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Should we just rate this movie? Yeah. Three. The colors are nice. Yeah. I, yeah. Mm, no, I'm going to say two. <laughs> sure. I have no fight in me about this movie. Whatever number you said, like, as long as you're going lower, if you were like 10 out of 10, I'd be like, Susan, you've lost it. We have to stop. <laughs> Fuck no. Just like, I have no strong <laughs> attachment to the number for this movie. Two sounds fine. Don't watch Shane. The argument about it in another film you shouldn't watch is more interesting than this movie. Yeah, if you had to pick one, and we don't advise that you do, but if you did, watch The Negotiator. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so next week, we are watching Julius Caesar. Yeah. Starring Marlon Brando as Mark Antony. And James Mason as Brutus. So, yeah, this should be interesting. Sorry, I just keep getting it's happened to me twice now. And I like have this vision of it happening to me next week where Roman Holiday is Lucy with the footballing me, where I just go like, we get to watch Roman Holiday, right? And then it's like, no, it's this other thing first. And I go, okay, but Roman Holiday is pretty early in the year, so nah, it's Julius Caesar. Okay, but like after From Here to Eternity. Fuck, okay, Christ, all right, well. (laughs) You do get it for You do get it for you. You do watch one thing after it. So yeah, I said last week that I was trepidatious about Julius Caesar because of uh, some of the casting choices, but I 
have found out since then that Joseph Mankiewicz directed it. And now I'm really excited. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I cannot imagine it being boring. Oh, God. Famous last words, because that's exactly what I said before Moulin Rouge, so. Yeah, that's fair. And, like, maybe I am cursing us. Yeah, I guess that this looks very staid. Yeah, maybe it is just look how traditional of a Shakespeare adaptation we could do, and that would be very boring. But my hope is that they go crazy with it. Like, my hope is that it is as batshit as a movie starring Marlon Brando as Mark Antony ought to be. (laughs) We'll see, I guess. Yes, we will see. And until then... Shane is alive at the end. I don't really understand the debate. Like, he, yes, he was shot in the chest, but, like, on the other hand, this is not a movie of realism. He rides off and he's fine, and the thing that's tragic about the end is supposed to be that, like, he did a violence. But also this movie thinks the violence is, like, super cool, so who fucking cares? Don't watch Shane. Bye. Uh, yeah, don't don't watch it. Also... Very quickly, this was another one that was on the list of Woody Allen's favorite movies. So if nothing else makes you not watch this movie. It was also number 69 on the 100 Years 100 Movies AFI list, which is the only nice thing about this film. (laughs) Um, All right. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. Do you like westerns, Frost? What the fuck is that supposed to mean, huh? I like westerns. I can't get enough of them. Watch them all the time. My favorites have always been the ones where the hero dies at the end. You remember Shane, Danny? What? I think you're right. Shane died at the end. <laughs>